coming up on The Medicine Podcast. I think I'm anywhere between 1,500 and 1,800. There's a lot of births that I've been able to witness. People ask me, like, does it ever get old? And I'm like, no. The essence of what true birth work is, is it's just being with women. You can't have sex hormones and stress hormones at the same time. They don't interact together. And so if we're in a state of stress, if we're in a state of feeling very unsafe, then birth doesn't work out the way that it's supposed to, which is probably why we have about an 80% medical augmentation of labor hormones in our hospital systems because the second that you walk through those doors you don't feel safe you're not in your own space what advice can you give me as a first-time doula for my sister i want to first start by saying that welcome back to the medicine podcast you guys know me mimi and i got my lovely partner my man, my king, my magician, my lover, all the things. What is going on, everybody? This is Chase. We have the absolute privilege today of sitting back and absorbing and learning from the wise and powerful Lindsay Milas. Welcome, Lindsay, to the Medicine Yay. Hi, you guys. It's so good to be here. We are so, so honored just to be talking with you. And yeah, like Chase said, absorbing the wisdom and gifting it to our listeners because you have a lot of it. And uh, we're, we're excited to jump in. First question that we ask every guest on The Medicine is, what do you love in your life? What aspect of your life do you love so much that you wish you could gift it to every human? Well, I think mine's going to be pretty obvious here, right? I'm a birth worker. So I think the fact that I get to witness a miracle on a very regular basis and sit in probably one of the most potent sacred holy spaces of of basically that veil between heaven and earth and getting to witness somebody pass through a portal and be in awe of it every single time is something that I just love so much about my life. I'm so grateful for and... I, I wish that people could at least have a glimpse of it. You know, there's there's so much madness in the world right now. And I think it's my saving grace. And you're, you just come back to this space and you kind of sit in the silence. And there's always a point right before the baby's born where you kind of feel your body start to lift a little bit into that heaven space. And, and then you take a deep breath and you come back to earth. And then that's usually the moment right before that baby comes earth side. And so... I'm constantly reminding myself of those breaths that we get to take and those breaths that we get to witness to connect us throughout everything in life. And what an honor, what a gift. Mm, so beautiful. You just embody so much love and reverence for this process that is so natural, so magical um, birth every day. I think I heard on a podcast recently from you, actually it was a few months ago, so it's probably even more now that you've attended over 1,500 births. Is that correct? Yeah. So I'll be coming up on my 20 year here uh, next January, this January. And I don't I don't have an exact count. I I once I became licensed through the medical board, I have to report the certain numbers every year. But prior to that, I wasn't required to. So I think I'm anywhere between 1500 and 1800. There's it, somewhere in between there. There's there's a lot of of births that I've been able to witness and 
You know, it's it's a space that people ask me, like, does it ever get old? And I'm like, no. <laughs> like every time yeah. I enter into that space, it's something that's new and it's a new soul. And it's just magical every single time. It's something in... I mean, I'll just speak from the way that I grew up uh, in a conservative Christian environment. Nobody talks about it. It's, mm-hmm. it's, I don't know if it's because it has to do with the vagina and it has some <laughs> correlation to the fact that sex started it and anything in that realm is taboo. But it's something that I spent so much of my life not thinking about at mm-hmm. all. And if I thought mm-hmm. about it, it was very formulaic. There's sex, there's, you know, a penis, a vagina, there's conception, there's pregnancy, there's birth, this transaction happens and life starts. There was no like magic. There was no ceremony around this uh, really beautiful. And as the way that you described it, this this portal mm-hmm. into life, which is so freaking cool when you frame mm-hmm. it like that. And it's really like, quite honestly, only been through our spiritual journey and through our relationship story and through the conversation of like, hey, if we start a family and kids that we've layered in this sort of like extra spiritual component to the entire birth process that I'm like recently in the last four or five years been like, holy shit, (laughs) this Mm -hmm. is so incredible. Why isn't everybody talking about this? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you ever, did your parents ever like have any conversation around it with you? Like a birds and the bees conversation? Yeah. Yeah, My parents, my parents were great. They really attempted to give me the birds and the bees conversation. I went to a Christian school, kindergarten, you know, literally all through college, in fact. And that part of the textbook was ripped out, not talked about. You know, we talked about not having sex and being a virgin until you're married of that nature. But, and my parents did their best with the tools that they had, but there was, there wasn't, much sacredness around the conversation. There wasn't much of really an X's and O's conversation either. And so it was pretty broy in the way that I had my perspective on the birth process up until, you know, rel- relatively yeah. recently. I would yeah. say in the last um, two years, more so for me, I've I am a researcher. I am a, I want to know what's up. And plus just birth is just fascinating when you really dive in and you open your mind to all of the different possibilities and, and just being in our work of, you know, holistic health and learning from people like Dr. Nathan Riley and such a great friend of ours, you know, there's so much more to this conversation, so much more to this world. And over the last two years, I've really been diving in for myself because once we get there, you know, we don't have kids yet, obviously, but once we get there, I don't want to be starting from zero. I want to have, uh, you know, a bank of information and feel like we are able to navigate this very important next stage of our life navigate it well and feel like we are able to make informed, empowering decisions about the type of experience that, you know, we want to have. I know it doesn't always go the way that you're planning or the way that you want or the way that you're thinking, of course. But I think that a lot of women are missing out on the fullest experience that they could maybe have, the most magical type of experience that they could have. Because we are told this story in society that birth is a medical issue and it requires a hospital, which, mm-hmm. you know, is, is a great transition to, you know, one of the questions that I have for you. You've experienced both ends of the spectrum. 
Mm-hmm. And I'll let yeah. you I'll let you share the details of your two different um, birth experiences. But I'm curious, you know, one end of the spectrum being a hospitalized sort of medicalized type experience versus your son's birth, which was I'll let you share how magical that was. But, you know, what how did these two experiences differ and what and how did that ultimately impact how you show up in the world as a birth worker, as a freaking badass midwife? I love this question. Um, I, you know, something that has always been part of my life is that I've always been interested in birth for, you know, since I can remember. I remember that my mom kept one of her pregnancy books from when she was pregnant with me and my sister. And it it was just kind of sat in the corner, you know, with dust on it. And I would go and I would like find it almost every single time. And I would open up the pages and it, you know, there'd be like it was the 70s type-esque picture. So there'd be a lady with, you know, like a full 70s bush and um, <laughs> you know, she's crowning and you know it, may, it was more medical for sure but like I was like oh my gosh like this is so special this is so sacred and never was I like oh I'm gonna go be a midwife I've always been into medicine I've always been the researcher I've always questioned everything like I am a true defiant personality that's like you tell me something I'm gonna look for the exact opposite to prove you wrong in a loving way of course and um I I started working in the medical field when I was 17 years old. So right out of high school, um, went to Costa Rica for three months after I graduated and I came back and jumped right straight into becoming an emergency medical technician. So I was literally driving an ambulance when I was 18 years old. And um, it led me down and, you know, it's 18 years old, here I am and I'm experiencing people dying in my hands. And so I... Also, in that same sentence, see the flip side of the sacredness and the portal of death. And that just made me question everything even deeper because there's so much fear around death. And then in these moments where I'm with people taking their last breath, I'm able to be in this sacred holy space where there's the portal from earth to the heavens. And so I made my way kind of through this medical training and worked in the emergency room. And um, and then I found myself pregnant. I got pregnant really young. I was 20, 20 years old when I got pregnant with my daughter. It was very unexpected. And I just kind of followed what the standard westernized process of birth was. I, I gave birth in the hospital that I worked at and um, used the OB that everybody recommended that worked in the hospital and um, ended up with a full-blown medical interventive birth that included induction and epidural and ended up with a cesarean. And so... Um, I left that experience. My daughter came out onto my chest in the operating recovery room and she latched on. And, you know, from that moment forward, it was kind of just there was nothing that could do to take me away from being completely connected and attached to her. And her birth was there, but like I was so much more absorbed by the beauty of this baby that was in my arms. And I, Throughout the year after her birth, I just kept finding myself going like, that's not how it was supposed to be. Like, I literally just had a rite of passage removed from me. My transition from maiden to mother was not reverent. It was not celebrated. It was a surgical experience where I was strapped on a table with my arms down. And I also had the experience of the anesthesia not working correctly. So I actually felt a lot of that um, surgery. And and that might have been my rite of passage. You know, like I've always been a phoenix rising from the ashes. So that pain might have been what propelled me forward into realizing that that experience wasn't normal at all. 
And she turned one and I literally jumped in headfirst to birth. And anything I could get my hands on, I got my hands on. And I I worked in a hospital system teaching childbirth classes. And I was attending births as a doula in the hospital. And every single time I left those births, like, yes, it was still sacred holy ground, but it was also like this place where you witnessed abuse happening. Mm-hmm. And in it's it's a default of the Western medical system. The way that birth is set up is to be controlled, is to be in a place where the doctors think that they have more knowledge and power than the human body. And the way that we treat and welcome our babies is so medicalized where if we really take a step back and think about it, this is their first impression of life. This is the first experience that they have. So when they leave this like warm, cozy womb with dim lights and low voices and all of their needs being met by this amazing placenta, and then they're ripped out into this world with a cold room and bright lights and loud voices and the the physical touch even that, that the healthcare providers do to these babies where they take these rough blankets and they go up and down their spines and separate them right away and cut that cord. And then they're isolated in a plastic box away from their moms. That right off the bat tells us that life here on earth isn't safe, right? Mm -hmm. That first primal imprint is like, what the hell just happened? And, um, so I, I experienced that. And I, I always say that I became a midwife first because of baby's experience, not mom's. Not to say that mom's experience is not as equally important, but I literally wanted to crawl and like like physically, maybe, maybe really harshly remove people from where babies were at because I just literally thought that what they were doing to these babies were, was so rough and so intense. And so I kind of kept my little path going and just kept saying like, there's no way I can do this in the hospital. If I'm going to make a difference, I got to get the hell out of the hospital. Mm-hmm. So I I started midwifery school. I was the first state accredited midwifery school. I was actually down in San Diego by where you guys are at. And I made the drive down there every Friday for the you know in-school didactic part. And then I did apprenticeship with a midwife up here in Orange County. And um, during that time, I was right at the very end of school. I was pregnant with my son. And the the contrast of how I entered into that pregnancy with such a deeper trust and such a deeper reverence really played into the true rite of passage that I had from... And I was already a mother, but this was like stepping into a dimension of a whole different type of motherhood. This was like developing a sixth sense of communication that I had with my son that I'd never had with my daughter. And that whole process of the birth that we had was a dance. And, you know, my labor started in the morning and we we danced all day in the backyard and was in and out of the pool and the jacuzzi. And um, I, I had to face my dark shadows of, you know, fears of abandonment and um, realizing that I was worthy of having this experience. And then um, I, I always say that you really leave your body. Like you, you literally go to the stars to retrieve your baby. 
And I remember sitting in the jacuzzi at the end of the day, my birth, my labor went really fast. And um, I jumped in this warm jacuzzi outside and the sun was starting to set. And I was just like totally, you know, up to my shoulders in water. And I was just kind of floating there. And I had the support of my best friend behind me and my midwife in front of me. And a camera snapped in the background so I could hear it. And I was like, holy shit, like... I'm like on Mars right now. Uh, I mean, very much like a mushroom experience. Like if you want to talk something that's similar to a psychedelic experience and breath work, like it's birth. And birth is probably a hundred times more expansive than even something like 5-MeO or something. You know, it's something that's just, whew, you're slingshotted out of your body. And so I heard that camera click and then I, I started really like feeling this soul that just, was moving through my body and I could feel him in every different push as he got lower and lower. And, you know, it was just right at sunset in the middle of the summer, it was hot outside and out this baby came onto my chest. And I was told when I had my C-section with my daughter that I couldn't birth any babies that were bigger than her because she never fit. And she was eight pounds, 12 ounces. And this big nine pound boy came out into my arms. And so... Yeah, it it really made this this um, imprint in me that I could do anything in that moment, and I feel that if women have that taken away from them, and I'm saying this on a very conscious level, I think that the powers that be, and this isn't just like right now, you guys, this is throughout all of time, the powers to be realized and recognized that if women know that they are capable of anything, especially as they move into motherhood, that they become dangerous because they become fierce and they become these warrior-esque goddesses that nobody's going to fuck with them. Hopefully I can say cuss words on this podcast. All you want. (laughs) And it just makes this difference where a fierce woman is untamable and nobody if we're trying to control a population likes to have women that are untamable. And so I think it was the greatest gift that I had ever received. And I always say that my birth with my daughter and my birth with my son were both these huge experiences that transformed me into the person I am today. And if I had not had that experience with a C-section with my daughter, there's no way that I would be here as a midwife today. Um, But the, the, the lioness that came through me in that birth with my son is one that like, I literally know that no matter what life gives to me or what's in front of me that I can take that on because I will never forget the moment of pushing him through and up into my arms and knowing that anything is possible. Mm. Wow. So incredible. Thank, thank you for sharing that. That is incredible. And, and, really tangible as far as like if you know anything about right the rite of passage uh challenges is to be faced and pushed through and on the other side of that is is breakthrough and i can absolutely see that in the case of the mother by by removing those you know seemingly uh difficult moments of birth that you're you're missing out on that experience of experiencing the the higher version of yourself um a, a thread that i'd love to pull on is something you mentioned for the child in these differing scenarios where you're in the hospital versus at at home and there's this uh you know aggressive first life experience in the three-dimensional world uh maybe you're removed and there's separation immediately how does this look downstream in these kids lives 
and you've got the child that's born in the hospital and separated immediately or handled roughly without, you know, gentleness and care and, you know, life's not safe, I think is the the words that you used versus, you know, like your, your son and mm-hmm. who was, you know, met with, with the attachment to the mother almost immediately and gentleness. What do you see as the life circumstances that shake out for these kids as, and maybe it's, you know, examples from your own children, if you have them or mm-hmm. from what you've witnessed in others differences in how life plays out for them downstream and that can be then distilled and drilled back down to the way that their birth looked. So I'm going to touch on two key points that I find are probably the most important place for babies to feel safe. So if the number one thing is going to be if we don't have cord clamping, cord clamping. So, you know, anytime you watch a movie, anytime you talk to anybody that does birth in a normal industrialized medical way, the first thing that they'll always say is like, grab the clamp, cut the cord. And that's something that's some pretty new. I mean, you know, in the 1900s, when birth started getting brought to the hospital, what happened was all of these moms were on very heavy anesthetic. They were all drugged out. And um, these babies were all drug out by forceps. So now you have a mom that's completely under this anesthetic and out of it. A baby's drug out by forceps. The mom doesn't have any capability to hold this baby. So that means that the nurses have to provide care for this baby until the mom comes back, you know, from, from having this heavy medication. So the cord clamp itself was actually developed because what these doctors were doing is once these babies were drug out by forceps, they would cut the cords. Now the cord is pulsating. If you ever have the opportunity to feel a cord that's pulsating, that means the placenta is still attached attached inside of the uterus. The cord is down through the vagina and attached up to the baby's uh, umbilicus, the um, belly button, our belly buttons. And it's pulsating all of this life force energy, all of this life force oxygen, all of these stem cells. This is what they've been nothing but living in the essence of life force energy this whole pregnancy. And for us to come immediately as we're learning how to breathe, that first minute is like, whoa, we're pushing fluid out of our lungs. We've been these little amphibians that have been living in fluid. And now we have to breathe air. And all of these little tiny pockets of fluid have to move out of those lungs with the expansion of the oxygen that moves into it. And at that moment in a hospital birth and in some home births as well, we cut that cord and that baby's backup lifeline is taken away. Not only is the backup lifeline taken away, but as the baby comes down through the birth canal, it's squeezed. So all of the blood supply, every it, everybody's different, but we see reports from anywhere from one third to one half of the baby's blood volume, the actual baby's blood gets squeezed up into that cord in that placenta. And so not only are they not having that oxygen there to help them transition into life, they're actually being born in a state of hypovolemia. So they have just lost a significant amount of their blood volume. So they're anemic. They don't have those red blood cells to move their oxygen throughout their systems. They don't have that, you know, life giving everything. I mean, it's there's the white blood cells, the plasma, all of that that's there. The platelets to help reduce the risk of bleeding. Like there's so many things that are important there in that moment. And we cut that. So now they're learning how to breathe. Holy shit, it's a new world. Holy shit, everything's bright. And and now you're hypovolemic. So if anybody's ever donated blood before, like taking a little bit of blood, that's not even anywhere close to what the baby loses. You kind of are like a little woozy. They have you sit down. They give you some you know, juice or water. 
And that's the baby's first experience of life. And so it it's a huge physiological shock that we're born <laughs> into with that with that first imprint. Hey, hey, homies. All right. Here's a question we get all the time. Is it okay for generally healthy people to take immune Intel AHCC or is it just for people with serious illness? This is a great question. And most of the world is aware now just how critical a healthy functional immune system is in order to maintain long-term health. But it's still easy to forget about your immune system until it's too late, until there's a breakdown somewhere, until your body is dealing with something quite serious. So what happens when generally healthy people take AHCC? Well, it's sort of like fixing the roof when the sun is shining. And now your house is much less likely to flood because of a leak. How does it do this? AHCC works like a boss to quickly enhance the immune system, cell function, and communication. For example, the NK, natural killer cells, these are white blood cells that specialize in attacking tumor cells and cells infected with viruses. AHCC has proven to increase your NK cells by up to 800% in a matter of weeks. And T-cells, these immune soldiers are important because they help direct your body's immune response. Certain types of T-cells can actually seek out and kill foreign invaders. And AHCC helps promote optimal T-cell activity. I know that I want this intelligence in my body every single day. So Chase and I both take at least two capsules of Immune Intel AHCC every single day without fail. If you'd like to start blessing your body with this daily intelligence, go to themedicine.com forward slash products or just check the show notes below. Cheers, boo. And so... What I realize is that in slowing down those moments and having that intact uh, ability to keep this mom and baby as a unit, that everything else slows down. And so you start to notice these little babies that are on mom's chest and they have the ability to recognize that, you know, it's safe out here. So they start to like move their little feet and they move up their heads around and they start to move towards the breast. And I will never cut a cord um, unless it's an emergency. And if baby hasn't breastfed, um, I want them to know that there's a source of nourishment out here before I take their source of nourishment away. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it that slowing down process it allows you to recognize what these infants are capable of. I mean, they're these wise, incredible beings that we don't give them any credit for. Um, I'm going to talk about one other thing briefly, and it's controversial, but I like controversial, is we also take our baby boys from our mom's, their mom's arms. And um, in a hospital setting, it's usually done within 24 to 48 hours. And we remove the most sensitive part of their bodies, of their sexual organs. We literally rip and remove the foreskin from the tip of their penis, which is likened to our clitorises. And 
just give them back to their moms in a wrapped up little burrito blanket. Um, when I wor worked in the hospital, I worked in the breastfeeding clinic. And if moms ever came in to me um, after a circumcision to get breastfeeding help, I knew that there was absolutely no chance that that baby was going to breastfeed at that time. Um, by my, the timing of how everything worked, my clinic was from 10 to 12 and they usually did circs at nine o'clock in the morning. So these babies were like fresh off of just having the most sensitive part of their body ripped off without any anesthetic. Now, tell me, if that was your experience of how you started life, wouldn't you think like as an adult, like wouldn't you think like, this is so scary out here? Like how am I... If the the number one person that's here to protect me, my mom just allowed me to be taken out of her arms and strapped to a plastic board and with no anesthetic had the most sensitive part of my body cut off. Like how is anything in this world going to be here to support me? Yeah. How am I worthy of love? How am I, how am I enough to protect me? Like bro psychology, but I've thought how much of like, let's just, let's just imagine mm -hmm. that there is some correlation between circumcision and toxic masculinity. 100%. There's this overcompensation of an out of balanced masculine expression that comes from a fight response to having pleasure taken from you at birth. Like, mm -hmm. again, I, I have no, I'm no expert in this at all, but I have wondered that the more that my brain's been blown mm -hmm. pertaining to circumcision and been like, oh my God, okay, there has to be some connection here. Yeah. Like guys turn into assholes because they had this really incredible aspect of their own pleasure removed from them immediately. Mm -hmm. And not only just pleasure removed, but pain inflicted. Yeah, totally. At, at the, you know, at the onset of their life experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've gone down the rabbit hole of circumcision and watch documentaries talk to many different people and honestly just like in listening to you and i, I want you to continue your thoughts like i i like feel like i want to vomit mm -hmm. you know when i think about it mm -hmm. and i've heard it you know likened to uh female uh it's the same thing it's the same thing it's female, it's, it's genital mutilization yeah, you can't yeah. you can't have two apples and call them an apple and an orange it's yeah. the same right. fucking thing yeah. but for yeah. a girl or for for girls it's called genital mutilation for mm -hmm. boys it's this fancy medical term called circumcision which well, sounds so nice coming out of the mouth in our culture you're weird you know if your penis uh has a hood over it you know not anymore not anymore. Right. It's, yeah, it's, it's yeah. More the, more the circumcision rates have drastically yeah. reduced in the in the Western states, Washington, Oregon, California, Arizona. We're uh, under twenty percent right now for circumcision. Wow. Really? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. wow. And, and that's, beca that's because insurance isn't paying for it anymore. It's a cosmetic procedure. So, so there's some PPOs that will pay for it, but for like Medi-Cal, which most people are on, it's doesn't get paid for and it's a $600 plus out of pocket expense and people just don't have the the yeah. means to do yeah. that. So and a lot of the people that are living in the western states also have the influence of immigration. So all of the Central America, South America, all of those countries don't circumcise. We're the only country that circumcises, you know. It's I mean it's it's in the Jewish culture, but the majority of people in the world that are circumcised are American. You go to Europe and they're like, "What? You do what?" Yeah. 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 Why? <laughs> you know? Why? Why would you do that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I, I want to bring it back really to the question of how I see that translate over. Now, I I know, Mimi, that you just said that you felt like you wanted to vomit. Okay. So your number one job as a mother, your innate everything that you have within you is to protect your child. So remember I said, not only five minutes ago, that 
in birth, you recognize that you are able to do anything. You recognize a strength that you've never had before. Now, if you've had a birth that you didn't feel like that, and then you had a baby that was in your arms and everything in your deep intuition, not your cultural awareness up in your head, but your deep intuition in your body of somebody coming into the room and taking your baby from your arms and doing that, causing physical harm. Like babies can bleed to death and die from this. It's it's not a procedure that goes without massive medical risk. Talk about another smackdown, right? Like you, you didn't find that inner strength with your rite of passage of becoming a mother. And now our culture, our industrialized medical system has also just taken away like, nope, we're in control here. We're in control, not you. We're going to do something to your baby that you know isn't right, but we're going to do it. And so that's how we're starting this cycle. And, you know, I can tell you from my experience, um, you know, I have a 14-year-old son. So I I am like deep thick in it right now with teenagers. And we're the house where all the kids hang out. Um, you know, I, I call myself team mom. Um, and I see these kids and I see how some of these kids act in cer- certain situations where um, I can look, I know that I, I know all the kids that don't have their penises cut off in, in our, in our house because they talk about it. <laughs> they make fun oh, they of the kids that it. they openly talk about it and they make fun of the kids that are circumcised in, in a lighthearted wow. way. Um, and um, I can see the difference in their personalities. Like I can see the difference that like there's some of those boys that won't take shit from anybody. And, you know, there's there's has to be research that's done on it more. There's one study once that I saw that talked about people that were in uh, jail on death row. And a researcher went in and asked who was circumcised. There was other factors, but it was like this, re- it was a really high statistic. It was like, you know, 80% of the people that were in death row for for aggressive murder were circumcised. And it makes sense to me. Like, it totally makes sense to me. Like, we have these deep, deep, deep wounds. And the person that was supposed to protect us didn't protect us. And so I feel like we we imprint with that. And I'm not saying that if you get, if you're circumcised, you're going to turn into a mass murder psychopath. But you have to realize that there has to be some correlation between trauma throughout that person's life and how it plays into whatever it is. Like it might just be like, you know, there might be some shame around sexuality. There might be some shame around finding pleasure with sex. Like there's, there's going to be these little things that come up. And unless you're aware of those things, um, they'll continue to be there throughout the rest of your life. But yeah, it's a it's a pretty aggressive, harsh way to to start life. And it's it's it definitely has an impact. And I wish that we had an ability to really consciously look at how deep that impact is. Yeah, it's so interesting because as you're talking about all these different interventions, I'm thinking that, you know, all these things that seem normal or are considered common average normal like just what you do this is just what you do in america this is just how it goes you go to a hospital you get you have these things done yeah a lot of people get induced it's really common it's really normal yeah a lot of people have cesareans it's really common it's really normal a lot of people get you know they get their son circumcised it's really common it's really normal you see this trend of these things that we think are normal. They might be common, yes, but are they normal? Are they natural? Are they even fucking necessary? Mm-hmm. And when you, like someone like yourself, where you are steeped in this history of this progression of how 
something like birth that is this magical dare we say psychedelic experience potentially mm -hmm. how that has warped and distorted and changed into a medicalized disease state almost mm -hmm. when you are this knowledgeable about how that has warped and changed you there's a there's an answer for how did we get here? How did we get to the point where these things are all normal, natural, and common? Mm -hmm. Or not natural, I should say, but normal and common in our in our, you know, society's mind, I guess, in the collective mind. But when you trace it back, you can see like, no, it started because of this. Cord clamping started because women were drugged and they literally couldn't hold their baby. Was that mm -hmm. happening before these drugs were introduced? Probably not. Well, look at any mammal, right? It, it, mammals are born with babies with placentas and they don't have cord clamps. They don't need cord clamps. They, those babies come out and the mom consumes the placenta and the cord right away. If she didn't, then it would smell like flesh and there would be predators that would be getting her baby. So, you know, it, it's, yes, we're mammals and we're humans, but we're still mammals. Like we still have the, like that primitive basic need of like, okay, this is birth. This is what happens when you have a placenta. This is what happens when you have lactating nipples. Like it's, it's all there. We all have the innate ability to have the instinct to have all of these things happen in a very normal, natural sense. So yeah, yeah I always come back with that, the argument, like, is your dog born with cord clamps coming out with it? You know what I mean? Like, come on, like, let's, let's be yeah. like realistic and think about this. Like, it's not normal. It's not natural. Mm -hmm. I had a mom once at a birth. Um, she was going really overdue and um, she she looked at me and, you know, as you go overdue, there's all these regulations within the state. And um, she was she was a badass woman. She is a badass woman. And, and I looked at her and I just said, you know, like, you're, you're sovereign. Like, you have the ability to take full sovereignty of this. But that also means that you look at the risks and you have to be comfortable with the risks of this. And she looked at me straight in the eyes and she said, my grandma in Romania had her fifth baby on her farm. And she, when she was out, out farming and that baby came out, she sat with that baby and she nursed it and she couldn't find anything to cut the cord with. So she got a rock and cut the cord from the placenta and walked back into the house. And I was like, and you're going to be just fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, it's, it's, if you were alone in a cave with no education, with no knowledge, you would still have the ability to figure all of this out. There isn't this magic, wonderful wisdom within all of these, you know, schools and books and everything that we have. Yeah, of course it can save lives. I'm not saying that. I'm very grateful that we have the technology that we do today. But like, we have that innate wisdom within us. And I always say it's great grandma wisdom. I always come back to what would your great grandma do? What would your cave grandma do? Because it's there. You know it. Mm -hmm. It's primal. It's primitive. We know what to do. Yeah. 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 I love your approach so much. And it's so empowering just to, to witness as a woman, knowing that that, that power and that knowledge and that it, it, ancient wisdom that flows through me. And I just have to get out of its way and, and trust it through this process. Mm -hmm. And I just, I just love your approach so much. I would love to hear from you. I have a, 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 an, an inkling that I know the answer to this, but have you ever heard a laboring mother say to you as their midwife, I can't do this every time. And what do you say to her as it's her my, wife? It's my favorite part of labor because it means that baby's close, right? Mm -hmm. So you get to this place where 
it's it's really hard. And this is why I always say birth is psychedelic because right before you reach that breakthrough, that breakdown and breakthrough, you get to this place where you're like, I can't go another second. Like this is way too hard. Like there's no way I can I can do this. And then in that moment, you have to surrender. You have to. There's no other way but to get through that moment except surrender, which is divine surrender, which is trust, which is faith, which is totally letting go of any preconceived notion that you have of yourself. And so women get to that point and they look at me and in my eyes and they like, I can't do it. I can't do it. And I look at them and say, yes, you can. The only way out is through. And, you know, we lock hands in that moment and, and that's where the beauty of this dance gets even deeper is because you realize that you're not alone. You realize you're the only one that can do it, but you have the support of people around you that love you and know that you're capable of anything. And it's usually not much longer that we start to hear these grunts and groans that turn much more pushy and moms start to push their babies out into the world. Um, but that goes back to the whole beginning of what I said. Like you realize your your strength and that you can do anything. Because if you think you can't do something and then you actually do it, then I mean, the possibilities of that are just endless. That's so cool. I I heard another uh, friend of mine, um, she's a doula and she's, you know, she mentioned that, that like every birth I've ever been to, the woman says at some point, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. And yeah, she said the same that like, that meet that's a good sign that yeah. that things are close and and of course she can but you know man it's just it's hard to it's hard to empathize because certainly all of us man or woman whether we've had kids or not have have had situations in our life where we feel like I just I just can't do this anymore and then we do and then we push through and we prove mm -hmm. to ourselves just how freaking strong we are and how mm -hmm. how able we are and birth seems like that peak experience I don't know of another experience that would trump forgive my use of that word but <laughs> I don't know of another another experience that would trump birth in that way where you feel like you can't do the thing and then you do it we're, we're also desperate for a rite of passage and have no clue that we are we have just so much convenience in our life that can kind of fill the void the the desperation that we all have to be at those moments of like i don't know what to do now and have to dig so deep within ourselves to push through conveniences are incredible and i'm so grateful to live in 2023 but it actually has come at a cost and it's yeah. from these moments of absolute you know challenge where you have to just pull something out of the uh, multi-dimensional reality that we live in just to push through it and come out on the other side a more mm -hmm. you know divine being and a more evolved soul and and uh we we just have enough convenience to fill the void that we we miss out on that that mm -hmm. opportunity and you know speaking from a from a man's perspective and this i think might even actually go well with with this conversation talk there's a big conversation has been for years around the lack of the rite of passage as it pertains to males and masculinity and um at least in the in my life uh, and what i've witnessed in a lot of men um there is a an attachment to the mother mm. that pushes past its expiration date and becomes something that is quite unhealthy and detrimental to the boy or the man's life codependence. what's that it's codependence codependence and it's yeah. There, I don't know what age it is. It probably changes depending on set and setting. But there's this 
mommy takes care of everything for me, which is one version of it. There's also mommy thinks that I walk on water and I've seen it destroy relationships. I've seen it destroy careers. I've dealt with it in my own life. My mom was super, super supportive of my brother and I, but, but, you know, helping us too much with our homework ends up being a problem when we're 20 somethings trying to pursue our own careers independently. And it, it took a divorce and it took, you know, for, for Megan and I, it took bottoming out for me to just pick myself up and push through it on my own, but it happened way too late. These are things that I should have learned significantly earlier and not to blame my mother. But I've also seen this in countless men in my life, men's groups, men's work, the story of the relationship with the mother and the over-attachment to the mother comes up early and often. In your experience, and this is kind of back to that rite of passage aspect, mm -hmm. in your experience, you know, you, you're, you're nurturing attachment mm -hmm. uh, initially, but then there comes this time when I would imagine that attachment needs to be uh, properly separated and, and, and broken to a certain degree. What does that look like for you? What are your perspectives on that idea? And uh, how are you, you know, looking at this, especially with your relationship to your son? I agree with everything that you're saying. I think that we have an entire generation of enabled humans right now, um, specifically with the masculine. But I feel like if you look at this this current generation of uh, young adults, it's like a bunch of crybabies. Like yeah. life is supposed to be hard, and we're supposed to have tools to get through it, and we're supposed to realize that we can get through those things. And so you look at almost every single indigenous culture in this world and they have those rites of passages very much in place and very reverent within their cultures. And usually, I mean, you can even look at the Jewish culture, the, the bar and bat mitzvahs. Um, you, there's, there's something that's there intact celebrating all of these different life transitions and and a lot of those things like the vision quest those are hard you you go out into a forest for 5 days and battle all of you know either external you know bears or whatever but your internal demons you you know it's it, they're meant to be hard so we can find our strength and I, I've actually never shared this experience publicly. And I think it's a really appropriate time for this because it's something that happened within my relationship with my son. So my son is something special. He is... Oh, he, I, the second that I conceived him, I woke my husband up like two hours later. And it was because I sprung out of bed with this light inside of my stomach. And I it was woken up because it was so bright. And I said to him, I'm pregnant. And my husband's like, what are you talking about? We had sex like two hours ago. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm pregnant. It's a boy. I can feel him. And he was like, go back to bed. And sure enough, I was pregnant yeah. and it was a boy. If you've been playing around with the thought of Botox for forehead lines or crow's feet, or just frustrated by your acne scars, listen up, my love. ClearStem just brought back their No Botox Repair Serum that tells your skin to repair itself and generate new healthy collagen. This has quickly become my favorite of their products, and here's why. The blend of growth factors, peptides, and collagen-derived stem cells immediately feeds your skin what it needs to bounce back from internal stress, UV damage, acne scars, and other environmental aging triggers. 
Bounce Back is perfect for anyone who wants to avoid Botox, prolong the results of their existing Botox, prevent further lines from forming, and those of us who deal with deeper acne scarring. These ingredients are the real deal and as always, hormone-friendly and non-pore clogging. Completely corrective and targeted for skin repair. You will notice your skin visibly smoother, brighter, and healthier looking in just a few uses. I personally use Bounce Back once a day, usually in the morning, followed by ClearStem's HydroGlow moisturizer. To get your lovely little hands on some bounce back or any of the anti-acne, anti-aging, truly clean ClearStem products, go to clearstemskincare.com and use the code MIMI for a nice hefty discount or check it out in our medicine cabinet linked in the show notes. You and your skin are going to love this stuff. And he, he gave me his name in pregnancy. His name's River, which I thought, oh, you're going to be this peaceful, calm river. No, like he is a raging river and he cuts through mountains. Um, his persistence is like something that I've never experienced in my entire life, which is really hard to parent. But at the same time, I'm also really grateful that he has that persistence within his soul because I feel like we really need that right now on this earth. And he was 12 years old. He had just turned 12 years old and he came to me and he said, Mom, I've been reading a lot and watching YouTube videos about rites of passage in other cultures. And I would like to have a mushroom experience, a psychedelic mushroom experience with you when I turn 13. How does that look? To How do you feel about that? And he's 12, right? In our culture, that's really oh, taboo. Yeah. Really, really taboo. And so at first I was like, what? No, like you're too young for that. Your brain is still forming and... You know, there's so many different components to this river. And he's like, Mom, I watched an eight-hour-long video with a researcher that talked about the importance of how psychedelic experiences can open and uh, shift adolescent minds. And in many cultures, they use psychedelic experiences with um, that transition into 13 years old. So I'm like over here like, okay, how am I going to argue with this one? And I said, okay. If that's what you want to do, we're going to actually make this a rite of passage. A rite of passage doesn't just happen. There's work that leads up to it. Like, you know, like in other cultures, it might be carrying stacks of wood from one place to another. But like in our Western culture, that means you're going to read books. That means that you're going to do some work. And so I bought him some books. I bought him like the Four Agreements and um, Untethered Soul, like a couple different, you oh, know, yeah. really good ones. And, um, and so he was, and he 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 did the work. He was reading those books, and we would check in throughout the year. But it, but there was a year in between here, right? So it was kind of like, okay, shit, he's approaching thirteen. How am I gonna? Am I just gonna walk up to him and drop some mushrooms on the counter? Like, how is this gonna happen? <laughs> and so a week before he turned thirteen, we're sitting on the couch downstairs together. It was like nine o'clock at night. I was up the entire night before to birth, so I was like getting ready to go to bed and just pass out because I was exhausted. And he, he looks at me and he says, Mom, I'm I'm really hot. Can you turn on the air conditioner? And I was like, what? No, we don't. It's not hot. Like, we don't use the air conditioner right now. We live by the beach. We have this nice ocean breeze. And then he said, I'm, can you get me some ice water? I'm really hot. And I'm like, bro, go get your own ice water, you know? And I'm like, oh, no, he probably has a fever. So I go to feel if he has a fever. I put my hand on his forehead. And he looks at me. He's like, Mom, I'm tripping balls right now. I ate mushrooms. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so this is how we're going to start this initi wow. initiation process. And 
I, with zero judgment in my, in my face, with zero judgment in my soul, I looked at him and I said, well, we don't do mushrooms inside. And I looked at my daughter who was next to us. I said, can you please go get me some blankets and pillows? I'm going to take River out to the trampoline. And we have this trampoline that sits underneath this like kind of alcove of trees. And it, we had like this beautiful view of the stars and um, we can like kind of hear the the boats in the harbor by our house. And so she brought out a bl- bunch of blankets and pillows and like m- my husband and her were kind of like, what the hell's going on here? I hadn't like really clearly communicated what was happening. And my husband walks up with his phone flashlight on. He's like, what are you guys doing? And I said, and he just go inside. Everything's fine. Me and River are just going to sleep out on the, the trampoline tonight. And in that experience, my almost 13-year-old son, he was was a week away from being 13, he laid on my arm like he would have as a baby nursing throughout the night, right? He he called it army. and, And he laid on my arm and I was transported into his psychedelic experience. Wow. Our breath was in full unison throughout the entire night. Any time that I could feel him starting to get scared, I would just say, honey, let's take a deeper breath together. Take a breath all the way down into your stomach. I want you to feel the earth underneath you right now. I want you to feel as you exhale that the trees are breathing with you, that we're all connected to everything right now in this life. You are so safe in this moment. You are so safe in this moment. And we continued on that experience through for a couple hours, right? Like it's a good couple hours that you have that. And we kind of started to fall asleep. I started to fall asleep about 3 a.m. And he woke me up as it was getting light. And he said, mom, I'm sure that your back doesn't feel good sleeping on the trampoline out here. Why don't you go inside? I feel fine. And I said, are you sure? Like, and I knew multiple hours had passed. So I knew he was fine. I said, are you sure, honey? And he's like, yeah, please. I'm good. Just go inside. I'm going to stay out here though. And so I went upstairs and I'm like opening the blinds and looking at him and he's walking around the backyard and touching every tree and every, I'm covered in goosebumps right now. Mm. Every leaf. I I can see the connection that he has in that moment with the earth. And do I think he would have even had the wherewithal within his system to even have the thought to do something like that if he wasn't raised the way that he was raised and connected in the way that he was connected and that strong attachment bond that as you talked about it's hard to let that go but i feel like when we are truly deeply attached in a healthy sense and our mother protects us in a way that is a way that everybody should be protected that it turns into a root and you have that attachment through a root, but then they also have that ability to come up and through the soil and spread out those branches into the world and know that in their core, they're deeply rooted and attached. And so, you know, I joked with him, he slept that whole day and I joked with him that afternoon and I said, honey, most people do mushrooms and they they go into the the wounds of their mother attachment. I said, you crawled back into the womb of your actual mother and and he laughed and he, I, I said, how was it? And he said, you know, it was it was crazy and it was amazing and it was scary. Wow. And I, I, you know, it was just one of those experiences that I could have never planned for. And I feel deeply it was a, it was a rite of passage for me too. like mm-hmm. like mothering that child has taken some real strength. Like, I mean, he's a kid that like is fearless in all things that he does. So I've 
stuck 23 stitches in his face and you know like I mean he's he's hardcore all the time and I don't think if I had that experience that I would have been given that extra layer to level up in and what mothering him means and and giving him the distance of that strong attachment but knowing that he's capable of all things to do on his own wow mm. what an incredible oh my God. incredible story thank, thank you, you for so, sharing wow thank you so much for sharing that because yeah it's kind of it's kind of wild to have i've never heard of that type of experience even kids you know kids get interested in drugs for like peer pressure reasons for this for that but like to have a kid approach and see the value in a rite of passage like that is he's got an evolved soul he is mm -hmm. tapped in yeah and I mean, it makes sense, like hearing about him, it makes sense that he, his soul chose you as his mother mm -hmm. and he needed you. He needed a Lindsay Milas as his mother to help guide that very wild and but evolved soul. And oh yeah. my God, like I just had chills all over and, my body. Even in that story, there's separation, right? He, you leave and there's a request and an honoring of that separation and his, his own independent experience mm -hmm. um, after uh, where you held space i think that's such a little encapsulation of how attachment and detachment can play out when attachment is rooted in love and it's not rooted in fear or it's not rooted in i'm going to attach myself to you to validate my own identity through you yeah. which i think a lot of times happens mm -hmm. um when it's rooted in love because codependency is necessary for you know a large portion of our youth and then there is this moment when independence uh can be experienced and it can be experienced in a you know safe and loving container but it does require this you know separation from the mother and even in this little encapsulated you know example through the psychedelic experience um like so beautifully represented by you and it it's removing identity removing fear and uh playing into the intuitive intuitive feeling of of what loving a uh, relationship mm -hmm. with your son looks like allows for that separation to take place in a in a beautiful way and yeah. Um, yeah, I will definitely be re remembering that story uh, and and meditating on that a lot. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And I actually never even recognized that with what you just stated, like with me being trusting enough to leave him and let him have his own individual experience. Like I never really thought of it in that way, but that was definitely me trusting him and allowing him to continue to have the experience that he needed to have and honoring what his wishes were. Yeah. So thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, I love that you listened to him, that you were like, okay, I trust you. I trust yeah. that you are gauging this, you know, in the right way. And it, it reminds me of how important it is for, for me as a mother in the future, but us together as a unit, like having that sacred, wonderful, healthy, full experience of a bond and, and healthy attachment from the beginning. But like over the course of the child's life, it's not okay, I want to protect you. I want to make you feel safe. So I'm going to do this for you. It's, I want you to feel safe in your body, in your experience of life. And I trust you to do this thing. I'm confident that you can do this thing for yourself, or I'm confident that you can figure it out. I'm here for you if you have questions or if you need support in some way. But there's a huge difference with the attachment of the mother being like, I trust you. You can do this. You are so capable. That feels really good for a kid to, to feel that freedom and autonomy in their own decision making from a very young age to know like, 
I am capable. I can do hard things. And you know what? If it gets hard, if it gets scary, I have a support system back here, but I have to be the one to do the thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that that starts, you know, at a very young age. It doesn't start at 20 years old. It starts Mm -hmm. probably at two years old or three years old or whatever it is. And uh, I just, I see that in you. And it's, it's, it's really, um, making me think some new thoughts about how I want to show up as a mother. So yeah, thank you. And it's not easy. It's not easy. Like, like I said, he's fearless. And so, I mean, this kid has rode a dirt bike since he was 18 months old. And so he, and, and I have to trust that he's going to be divinely protected. I have to trust that his purpose here on the earth is much more than him getting hurt by some sort of an accident. So because he, he, he knows uh, he, he's believed from birth that the world is safe. He has, he has. <laughs> yeah, and so safe. everything's safe. We're good. He leaves the house. And every time he leaves the house, I'm like, white bubble of light around him. Yeah. <laughs> he is divinely protected. But like, it's still like, I mean, literally, there has been times where he's like, Mom, I'm going to go ride. And I'm like, honey, my nervous system is not regulated enough for you to be out riding right now. Like, because because of the potential of the possibility of him getting hurt. And and he and he's, he recognizes that. Like, he doesn't fight back when I say that because he knows that if he needs help, I'm here. But I allow him to have his freedom and autonomy within himself. But there's sometimes that I'm like, sorry, not today, yeah. honey. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When your intuition is that strong, it's like it's there for a reason. And yeah. It's it's wise to listen to it for sure. I just I love that so much. Um, I would also um, you know love to hear your thoughts. We we talk about a lot on the medicine, healthy, intentional, conscious relationships between partners, mm-hmm. and it is something that we talk about often in the realm of parenting and and what kind of people we want to show up together as a, as a as a couple um as a family unit and i would love your perspective on the role of the partner in this case obviously male partner um you know for me i do want to i want i know i can't plan it i know i can't control everything but to the best of my ability i want to prepare myself for that spiritual psychedelic experience. I'm mm-hmm. planning on having one child only mm-hmm. right now. And if I'm going to do this thing once, like I want to prepare well for it. And I would love to hear your input, your insight on what does that preparation look like for a woman who wants to experience this? And then how does that differ from the male partner's type of experience because this is not only a rite of passage for me going from maiden to mother but also chase going from knight to father i guess or whatever it would be but this is also him it's happening inside my body but it's an us thing so how does a male partner prepare um and how is that different from the the female's preparation for this type of spiritual experience you know, I always say there's nothing that's by accident. And I um, shared with you guys before we started recording that I had a couple of appointments in my office here before we started recording. And it was a one of my clients had come in and had told me that she had found out that her husband was having an affair. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden I went, oh, shit. you're this pregnant. You're coming up on yeah. taking one of the biggest steps that you have. And you don't feel safe and secure at all within yourself. You've you've mm. had basically the level of complete betrayal. And if we look at birth, the baby comes literally straight through our root chakra, right? Mm. Like that it it not only 
do we have like this life force energy that that charges through it but we also have this opening of it as well and the root chakra is all about safety it's mm-hmm. all about that grounding it's all about just the like basic needs that we have as a human and so the number one thing that i always incorporate in is um if if you don't have that level of safety if you don't have that level of security it's really hard for birth to work you can't have sex hormones and stress hormones at the same time they don't interact together and so if if we're in a state of stress if we're in a state of feeling very unsafe then birth doesn't work out the way that it's supposed to which is probably why we have about an 80% medical augmentation of labor hormones in our hospital systems because the second that you walk through those doors you don't feel safe you're not in your own space and so we have to medically control and flood a system with an artificial hormone we call it oxytocin in our world right but in the medical world it's called pitocin and so um the most important thing for partners and and I kind of bring this back to the cave days is that it was always the man's job to protect like if we were giving birth in a cave we had to make sure there wasn't any predators outside of our cave like there wasn't a, a lion sitting outside to eat our baby and so when i see these interactions with couples coming into my office what i usually see is the woman comes in and has all these kind of like spiritual questions and like what about this and what about that and kind of etherical questions and the man looks at me and he's like how safe is this how much does this cost you know, like total basic root chakra things. And I love it because when men look at me and say that in like a very like protective, like warrior way, I'm like, oh, okay, you got it. You got it. That that safety, that safety is built in right there. And you're tuned into it. And so I think that that it's definitely a rite of passage for both, but in a completely different capacity to be able to sit in deep reference, reverence and witness men turn into complete mush as they watch their wives push their babies out is one of the most miraculous things in the whole world. Um, I saw it yesterday. I was I was with a really dear friend and her husband's this like six foot five, like firefighter lifeguard just like you know this this ultimate like masculine figure and his wife pushed their baby out and he was just a ball of tears on the bed Mm -hmm. and you know it was just it's so incredible because that's something that happens really really often in common and I feel like when we leave our space to be in another space like a hospital, that once you're entering into somebody else's space that men really don't have the ability to even let down and break through in those circumstances there's all eyes you know on you of people you've never met there's a feeling of feeling unsafe and and then i also feel that innately intuitively that um a lot of what westernized birth looks like could be interpreted as rape and men get very defensive in that in that space and so it really takes that transformation space away but um you know, it's just, I'm going to come back to that that basic root chakra safety being met. And I think that if, as long as that's communicated and there is that level of safety within the relationship, that level of trust within the relationship, that things go pretty good. And I can spot that shit out right away. The second that people like, oh, everything's perfect, everything's fine. Women goes into labor. I know I know if there's ever been any fraction within that relationship and it comes up because then they then they have to turn to their partner and get into a place of feeling safe. And that's when I lock them in the room together and say, Let's just have some moments together. You guys find some time together and communicate yeah. what your needs are right now. 
Hey, homie, did you hear that Organifi, the creators of the best and most delicious green juice in the world, now has a crisp apple version? You guys, it is so dang good. I love the original green juice, but this may be my new favorite Organifi product. The apple taste isn't too strong. It's just the right amount. So Green Juice Crisp Apple has all the same benefits of the original green juice with a new crisp twist and refreshing taste and only two grams of sugar using organic whole apple sources handpicked from our home state of Washington. Holler! I drink green juice on a daily basis because the clinical dose of ashwagandha really helps support my body's stress response and cortisol levels. And you know what they say, you're either making stress hormones or sex hormones, not both. So green juice really is sexy. To grab your new sexy green juice, crisp apple, go to Organifi.com and remember to use the code MIMIFIT, M-I-M-I-F-I-T at checkout for a hefty 20% off on all your Organifi orders. Cheers and love, boo. You're like you're like the astrologer who walks around going Gemini, Cancer. <laughs> you, you can see people's birth experiences uh-huh. or relationship challenges through birth. That's amazing. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. It's so spot on when you think about like the role, like the um, the masculine, like the fundamentals of the masculine pillar, the masculine representative in the relationship is strength and stability and integrity and being able to trust them completely mm-hmm. and protection that's another yeah. really huge one yeah yeah and every everything that you're saying is like i'm just like being filled with gratitude because chase embodies all of those things to just i told him the other day like I don't even know what it feels like in my body to not be able to depend on you. I've not had that one time in my life, even when we were having issues. Um, and we, I don't know if you know much about our story, but we, we got married very young and we, we separated and divorced and we were apart for three years and had no intention of getting back together. Then the universe laughed and and brought us back together organically in in its own way. But even when we were having trouble, I still like I don't ever remember having that feeling of like I can't depend on you, and that I'm realizing is such a fucking gift. The greatest gift woman. in the world. It's the greatest gift in the world as a woman. Because I've heard the alternative. Mm-hmm. So many times, mm-hmm. sadly, from people that I know personally, from family members, from friends, from strangers on the internet that find me looking for relationship support. And sometimes I don't fully feel pre- like fully equipped to give that advice because I I can't fully empathize. If mm-hmm. I can sympathize, I think I got those right. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. I can do my best, but like that's not a feeling or a frequency that I've ever felt in my body. So as you're speaking to like this is how a man shows up, I just have full confidence in Chase Chase's ability to show up and protect and provide and be dependable and trustworthy and you know be there for me. So it's like 
you already have all of those qualities. I don't know if there's a ton of preparation that you need to do. Thank you. Thank you to the four agreements. It's a great book. Um, <laughs> King warrior, magician lover, also yeah. a great book. Um, yeah. Thank you. I yeah. received that. Yeah. What about it's really beautiful? I love that. And I just want to say too, in a time that we're living in where those there's those gender roles are very blurred right now. And there is a huge lack of masculinity. It is perceived as toxic in our culture right now that I don't think that people even understand why it's so important that we have actual gender roles. And I mean, obviously we can have the ability to be fluid and move throughout them. Like I obviously have a masculine side and a feminine side, but I just feel like it's so important to know that the, the 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 role of being a man is that protection, is that safety, is that dependability. And if we take that away, whoop, root chakras are gone. It's gone. We, we throw the baby out with the bathwater in the same way that we threw out red meat because it was toxic uh, and missed the fact that grass-fed biodynamic uh, beef is incredible for the human body. We just threw the baby out with the bathwater because what was offered to us on the shelf was garbage yeah i think we do it in every way shape and form mm -hmm. and you know masculinity has you know deservedly so in many ways but but unfortunately lost some of the good yeah. stuff with it too as it's been uh completely stomped on here mm -hmm. recently um, yeah. i mean that that's taking out that whole um hunter right when we take out that masculinity we take out the hunter which yeah. then provides all of that sacred nourishment through food that we could have that's yeah. totally unavailable right now within our right. culture Right. Yeah. Yep. What a useful segue because I wanted to ask you, I know you talk a lot about nutrition with the women that you work with. Um, what would you say is the number one mistake that you see women making with their nutrition, either prenatally or during pregnancy? So I think that we have a culture that is completely nutrient deficient. We don't have any focus with on nutrient dense foods. I uh, see it very much in like the Hollywood-esque era where um you know you have these women that have been so depleted throughout their lives to fit into this you know perfect bubble of what sexy is and you know I, i'm going to use kim kardashian as an example um and they they get pregnant and you're like oh you're probably eating the junkiest shit there is and i remember um i don't know which pregnancy it was but one of her pregnancies she was in a, a magazine article and she was wearing these clear strap stiletto heels and her ankles were just spilling over them. And I was like, homegirl has preeclampsia. And my husband was like, what? Stop being so judgmental. And I was like, no, she has preeclampsia. She for sure has preeclampsia. And sure enough, she was like induced two days later for preeclampsia. Mm. And it's it's like it. we have almost this permission slip that's given to us in pregnancy that like, oh, now, we, now our culture says that we can gain weight. And we take that on as basically eating anything. And so in my world, it's different. I have people that are like basically like the cream of the crop with their health. Like they're seeking something that's different than what the, you know, sad standard Americanized everything um, and diet is. And so they come in and they're typically a lot healthier, but I definitely have women that come in that we kind of really have to readjust and remember um, what it, feels like to eat nutrient dense foods and what it feels like to move our body in appropriate and adequate ways throughout the pregnancy. Um, and so I find that if we can stay as far away from the processed boxed foods as possible and really incorporate in all of those whole foods that we end up in a place where we don't see as many of the high risk situations that can present themselves throughout pregnancy. And you know, it's unfortunate because we have such bad soil depletion within our 
within our world, the whole world, um, that we're missing out on so many of those those really good minerals um, that we we need to be able to search far and wide to find them and and give those to women. And so I feel like it needs to be a collective uh, force across the board. Me, people like you, people like Nathan, like you know, across the board, like no, this is what you what you need to do. One of my favorite doctors is Weston A. Price. He was a dentist that moved throughout the world and looked at people's health based on their teeth. Um, and a lot of those principles I incorporate into my practice on a very regular basis. And I incorporate those principles into my house as well. So yeah. I love that. Yeah. I I dove down the Weston A. Price rabbit hole a long time ago. I'm a dental hygienist by degree. Oh, cool. And, um, and then getting into more holistic health and nutrition and everything, read Kate Shanahan's book, Deep Nutrition. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's, she did something really interesting. You, you would probably find it fascinating, but she is basically talking about deep nutrition. Like what do bodies need from a very, from a prenatal standpoint to develop properly. Mm -hmm. And so what she did was she uh, grabbed, I don't know, probably 10 or so celebrity sibling um, uh, couples, basically not couples, but siblings Mm -hmm. that were, um, that were two years uh, in age or closer or younger. So they're less than two years apart. And her whole argument is we, the mother's body needs to be replenished of all the minerals and vitamins. And these are the ways, these are the pillars, fermented foods and organ meats and these types of things, meat on the bone, full Mm -hmm. fat things. And this is what she teaches. And she puts these celebrities next to each other. And what she says, what she sees is the, the older sibling has a wide jaw structure, beautiful arch, full face. Mm-hmm. All of the development is is beautiful. And then the younger sibling, because they're less than two years apart, probably didn't get the nutrients that they needed necessarily. Mother's body was probably still in a state of depletion. And you see a narrower face, smaller arch, smaller features, um, like a regressed jaw, like a class three situation, uh, a class two situation or a class three. And you see how the, the facial structures are not as classically symmetrical and beautiful as the older parent, mm-hmm. as the older sibling. Definitely. Yeah. I didn't know that was her that did that because I've yeah. actually quoted that um, a few times with the difference of the comparison of siblings. And, and 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 I think there was a couple that did more than just two. Like it was like each sibling mm-hmm. that they had and how significantly different each sibling looked. Like you have this Hollywood movie star that's beautiful and gorgeous. And then you're like, God, what happened to their siblings? Yeah. And it's because they were so deficient within the mother's nutritional needs of not having her basically reabsorb all of those, uh, you know, nutrient dense foods and minerals back into her system. And it showed based on how she grew a human. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm so happy that I get a look at this book because I actually haven't heard of this book before, but I've, I've quoted it. So I'm so yeah. grateful that I get to go and, and pick that one up and look at it. Yeah, it is, it is dense. It's like a textbook, but I was fascinated by it. And I think that you would align with her work perfectly. And it really just, it centered in me, like it really hit home for me that we have so much in our control when it comes to the health of ourself and the health of our baby. And it's somehow becoming like 
shameful on the internet to empower women and to let them know that, hey, you do actually have a lot of autonomy and control over your health situation. Mm -hmm. And what they come back with is, so if something goes wrong, you're telling me it's my fault that I did this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Nathan gets this a lot in his work, I think mostly because he's a man, unfortunately. Not unfortunately that he's a man, but because, I know what you mean. Yeah. because he is a man, women come back and say, you're just being misogynistic. It's not my fault that this my baby had these problems. Mm-hmm. And it's just so backwards because it's like, you don't understand that what he's trying to do is tell you that you have power. Mm-hmm. Not to say that you don't that you're not able or that you're doing things wrong. Like you can actually step into this a little further yeah. and realize more of your power. And but I we've do- never we've never had sovereignty or autonomy throughout our whole lives. We've been yeah. completely governed in a way that makes us think that we are not in control of ourselves. We go to school for you know, five days a week for eight hours a day for our entire childhood that tells us that we need to sit in a hamster wheel behind a desk and never question anything that authority says. So for us to make any sort of assumption that women women humans would step outside of that box and take full sovereignty and autonomy in themselves is a really far reach step and that's one thing that I always say when people come into my office the most important thing that I want you to know in this moment is that I trust inherently that you know your body better than anybody else what time have you ever heard of a healthcare? Right. You know, like imagine if you went to some, you know, prestigious Mayo Clinic and the doctor said, I trust that your body knows that you know your body better than anyone else. That takes out the God factor, right? And so we need to take a huge step back and realize that this isn't shameful. We're letting we're letting these women know that they have the full ability to take care of themselves and to take care of their babies and future generations to come. This isn't just the health of this generation. If she has a female inside of her body, there's eggs inside of that female that will be her grandchildren. Mm-hmm. Right. So let's talk about how important that really is. Like uh, the health of the United States is the worst it's ever been ever throughout history, and it's getting worse every fucking year. Mm-hmm. Let's fix it. Let's do something different here. We need to step away from what we are doing because it's not working. It's not doing anything except making everything more detrimental. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I I love that so much. No doubt. Um, God, I have so many more questions. <laughs> I feel like we could just chat for like five hours. We have to do a part two. I know we do because I, you know, I want to dive deeper, not in this conversation, but like, I think it's important to go here and for people to understand the history of medicalized birth and where it started, how it started and how we got here, which we haven't really touched on too much, but yeah, maybe we can have a part two and we can, we can dive into that history because it's not a short story. And no, it's, a, it's a whole podcast. There's a lot there, but my last question for you is sort of a selfish question. So my older sister, she's two, two and a half years older than me. She's currently pregnant with her third baby and she's about 38 weeks right now. And about a couple months ago, she asked me if I would be her doula. Mm. And at first I was like, uh, I am not equipped for this job. I know how important the doula's role is in the experience of birth and i felt completely like are are you you're sure that you like you you want me to do this and so i had to sleep on it because i i didn't want to sign up for putting my sister in a position where she wasn't fully supported in the right way and so this was really important to, for me to like run it through my intuition 
And then I've thought to myself, like, what the fuck else are sisters for? And I have been researching and diving into the world of birth and we we line up perfectly in how we approach birth and, and pregnancy and everything. And, and I was like, let me talk to her and figure out what she really wants from her doula experience. So we did, we got on the phone and I was like, first, before I say anything, like, what are you hoping for out of this experience? And she just said, I just need a grounded feminine energy next to me the entire time. That's all mm-hmm. I need from you. And I was like, okay, I'm in, I can do that. Mm-hmm. And so I have said yes to being my my sister's doula, which I feel completely honored by. And I'm just curious, you've been in birth work for so many years and a doula yourself as you, as you um, started out. What advice can you give me as a first-time doula for my sister? I love that she asked you to be there. That's so special. You got you're just being invited into such a beautiful space and for you to step into that space right after this podcast is just mm-hmm. so special. So, um I want to first start by saying that um everybody thinks we need a bunch of extra things, right? Like we like are like, oh, I'm going to do that. I'm going to have these essential oils and I'm going to have these balls to massage her with. And I'm going to have this, you know, gosh, there's so many different things, heating packs and cold things. And and really when it all comes back to the essence of what true birth work is, is it's just being with women. It's just being that grounded force. And so I want you to close your eyes really quick and I want you to take a deep breath in and I want you to just bring your breath all the way down into your womb space. And just remember right now in this moment that for so many generations of women that have come before you, they had no fancy technology. They had nothing to buy. They sat in circle with all of your ancestors as they danced around the fire and they told stories. They had a deep reverence and a deep trust for birth, for it was something that they witnessed on a regular basis. It was nothing that they had to be rescued away from. It was something that they stood strong, arm in arm, and sat in awe as they witnessed their sister or their auntie or their best friend make that transition into birthing another life. And I want you to connect with one of those archetypes back in your ancestral lineage. And I want you to call forward right now that person, that woman, that female, and completely embody who she is and recognize that you have all of the tools that you already need within you. There's nothing you need to do different. You just need to be you. And I want you to feel the arms of all of your ancestors behind you right now as you grow your family tree and witness this new being coming into your family, knowing that at any moment that you need help, that all of these arms are behind you supporting you and all of the answers are within. And taking another deep breath into the energy of all of this. 
feeling the connection to that baby that sits up in the heavens waiting to come down earthside, knowing that that baby picked you to be part of the sacred welcoming committee, something that it's so divinely picked and planned before the birth. And I leave you all right now with that moment of gratitude that fills all of our hearts in this moment and a deep reverence for life. Wow. Thank you for that. That was really special. It's just a remembering back to yourself. Yeah, I felt it deep. Yeah, I realize that this um, this experience, her doula retiring and not being able to be there for her in the way that she hoped originally, and how our life path and journey and relationship has evolved over the years to come to this point where I am in a position where I can show up for her fully mm -hmm. and um, be the support system that she's asking for and like call on every female ancestor that has done this so many times uh, before me and, and being with their sisters and their cousins and everything. It was just really powerful. Like I really, really felt that. And I'm definitely going to be meditating on that many times between now and that, um, that day where she gives birth. So I just deep bow of gratitude to you. Thank you for that. And I, I can't wait to share this episode with her. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Mm. What an honor, like truly just to connect with you and, uh, I mean, the conversation went in in masculine realm, realms and and feminine realms, and and I just appreciate even through Zoom, we're through Zoom, and and we can feel you here in this moment. And um, how freaking cool is that? I love it. I love it. I'm yeah. so grateful right now. It, that was just such a beautiful conversation that we just weave together, and it's exactly what the world needs to hear right now. Yeah, yeah thank absolutely. You. I know there are women listening who are resonating with what you're talking about what you're saying um and i'm sure they are thinking like how do i work with this woman how do i reserve her how do i learn more about her can you point our listeners in the direction of learning more about you and your work please yeah, the best way to find me is on Instagram. Um, I'm sure you guys will have show notes with the proper spelling of my last name, but it's M-E-E-H-L-E-I-S. And then my website is therememberingco So I can also easily get in touch with me there. All right. Amazing. Yeah, we'll have all those links um, in the show notes for you guys. Check there if you're interested. You're located, she, she mentioned, Lindsay mentioned in the... Um, OC area, yeah, Orange, Orange County. County, Southern California area. Okay. And so do you kind of stay local to that area when you work with women? I do. Um, but like I'm going to go journey down to San Diego right now to check on a new baby. So I, you know, there's certain people that I will make space for and drive extra for. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Last words, any, any woman who is in the state where she's about to step into this uh, new archetype of mother, 
if there was a billboard that every mother in the world could see, what would you put on that billboard? I'm, I think the most important thing is that you need to come back to the remembering within yourself. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It, it, you know all the answers from within. You know what's right for your baby. You know what's right for yourself. Mm. Love it. Perfect. Beautiful. Simple. Yeah. Simple, but not always easy in our society. And I love that there are people like you in this work to remind women, to help them remember um, parts of themselves that maybe would have been dormant. Um, so thank you again, deep bow of gratitude to you and your work. And um, I just, I just adore you. I adore you guys. It was so nice spending time with you. It was so special, seriously, from the bottom of my heart. What an amazing conversation. What beautiful people to be in this space with. Yeah, thank, thank you so you. much. Thank you guys for tuning in and listening, spending some time with us in this magic love bubble. <laughs> We appreciate you being here. If this episode, if this conversation resonated with you in any way, please share it with someone that you love. This is how change happens in our world and our world needs it badly right now. So we love you. We appreciate you. And we'll talk to you next time. Go spread some light. Okay. Bye. Hey friend. Thanks for listening. Did you hear anything today that expanded your mind, made you laugh, touched your soul, or caused you to think differently about this topic? I hope so. I invite you to share this episode with someone you love. It takes 30 seconds and has the potential for a great ripple effect. Our world needs more people having real, honest, and open-minded dialogue on big topics. And you never know, you may just change their entire day. We love you and appreciate you being here with us. Cheers.